Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's Monday, August 16th, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 419. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and today I am joined by Patrick Klopik. Hello. Gita Jackson. Sup? And our producer, Ricardo Contreras. Yo. Uh, so, Gita, let's start with you, because uh, I think you are maybe playing the game that is at least the hottest topic right now, or was uh, toward the end of last week, uh, which is Boyfriend Dungeon. Uh, can you explain who the boyfriends are and why you were keeping them in, in your dungeon? Okay, well, <laughs> I wasn't keeping them. They were voluntarily going with me. So, no, if Boyfriend Dungeon is a game from Kit Fox Games who I think the, the biggest hit they had previous to this was probably the Shrouded Isle, which was a very fun sort of management sim where you play as the leader of a cult where every season a member of that cult must be sacrificed. Um, and there's other parameters there, but it's very fun, very atmospheric, a little game. Uh, and on Twitch, you haven't grabbed it. I think it's super good. I played it again over the weekend after playing Boyfriend Dungeon because I was, I finished Boyfriend Dungeon and I was like, I no really more like boyfriends, these games. all dungeon now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do they escape? <laughs> <laughs> Do they escape my clutches? No, I have them forever. Now, um, Boyfriend Dungeon is a game. It's basically a dungeon crawler, but the weapons you use in the dungeon crawler are people in this world. Some of them can turn into weapons. And so you use them in the dungeon in lieu of going on dates with them. Or in lieu in addition to. It is a pretty straightforward little game. I have been following this game since its Kickstarter was first announced like three years ago or something. I feel like this was a uh, back when we went to things and saw people and things called events. Uh, Yes. When I would go through like the indie section at PAX, like one of the staples was to see Mm -hmm. a boyfriend dungeon there and like glance at it. For like a minute and be like, that looks really cute. I can't wait till yeah. that comes out. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, I feel like that's a lot of games these days. And then suddenly, ah, shit, it's out. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was out and it was a same day release. And I was completely shocked because I usually, <laughs> these PR people are sending me all kinds of links all the time. And I, I have a clue as to when things are arriving. But it was same day release on Steam and, and Switch and on Game Pass. And if they seem to find his audience really, really quickly, which made me super happy because I think it's a really well-made, fun little game. It's definitely like a short game and one that I would hope to see like DLC for. The one thing I thought by the end of the game was that I really wish there was more dungeon <laughs> as much as I like all the boyfriend stuff. Um, Kit Fox, most of their in-house games have included dungeon crawling or, or lightweight action elements and... You could see that there's something really satisfying about taking your date into your dungeon and just like use like just something very fun about the gameplay that I wish there was like more opportunities for me to be a, a enact that one verb of dungeon crawling. Well, it, it, seems, it seems like a lot of these games, uh, you know, if 
if they, if they aren't fully waiting themselves on like the mechanics of the dungeon crawl, it's like, well, what is like the meta? Like what is happening in between? Sometimes it's just light as in a roguelite where like, ah, you're just upgrading like, you know, your stats, you know, like a rogue yeah. legacy or, or, or in a Hades. Um, and, and you just take that into to the next run. So like, what's actually, is it, is, do I have the impression right that it's like you, you're kind of splitting your time to a dungeon and a visual novel? Like, yeah, is that sort of what, what's happening in the but downtime in between. It's like 70, 30. I would say like dungeon visual novel. Okay. Um, when you are in the dungeon, you have like a love meter that you can fill up with experience points as you use that weapon on each floor. And then that will max out when it gets to the next level. And at that point, you have to go on a very short date with that character in a visual novel style. Um, there's also visual novel style portions in the dungeon itself. There's like little places where you can heal that will be moments of, of re- reflection that you have with the particular character you're using in the dungeon. Um, and you have the opportunity to give that character gifts at that point, which can help raise your love meter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when you go on those dates, at the end of the day, you will have unlocked a new ability for your sword. Um, for example, Seven, who was one of my favorite characters, like surprisingly, his like uh, Seven is like a K-pop star who mm-hmm. is like has depression. What's very nice about this character is that you meet him at the end of his clinical depression journey instead of in the middle of it. A lot of characters that have depression in games are like they don't know how to deal with their shit. <laughs> but like he's just sort of like. Yeah, you know, I'm not feeling great right now, and I know it's because I have depression. So just know that about me, and which is very, very refreshing. <laughs> but you, as the player, are not the person to like. Yeah, I can fix him. Yeah, no. If I fill this love meter yeah. high enough, he no will more cure. depression. <laughs> Clinical depression. Have no, you considered like has... being a weapon in dungeons with me? <laughs> so he turns into a laser sword, which is incredible, <laughs> and he has chain lightning. And when you let go on more dates with him, it upgrades how powerful the chain lightning is, which is wonderful. Um, and his conflict, I thought, was also really fun. And like weirdly kind of hit me hard for as a person who lives publicly on the internet in some ways is like uh, he can't he's so used to people being super weird to him because he's in a K-pop group that it's impossible. He feels so off put by human interaction at all that you have to kind of teach him that he's allowed to have a private life and that people shouldn't talk to him in the ways that they talk to him. And that was really nice. Um, you help him through a business decision and it's only because you're not fetishizing him that he trusts you. That's really nice. I also have to say, I really like both of the non-binary characters you can date in the game. I think it's very funny though, that Sawyer, um, one of the non-binary characters, just their voice actress just sounds like Milhouse, which feels like (laughs) some kind of read on what it's like to be non-binary. You know what? If they rebooted like modern, uh, you know, Simpsons, I, you know, I could see it. If I think people deserve Asian, better representation than that. <laughs> but being non-binary is wearing your floodwater pants and going through a flood. Everything's coming out Millhouse today. Also, Rob, if we're gonna have true representation, it's it's you know it's it could be anyone. It can even include Millhouse. Yeah, Millhouse could be one of us. You never know. Milhouse so, what if Millhouse was one of us? Uh, that, that great pop <laughs> hit of Milhouse the uh, 2000s. One of us. Oh, yes. I don't really a pod title, but there it is. Just a stranger <laughs> on a bus. What a great song. So, I think, but the other thing that I sort of saw unfolding at the end, the tail end of last weekend into this weekend, was a bit of, I don't know what, I don't know if it's a full milkshake duck situation, but the, the rate of it, it seemed to unfold that fast, where like it came out, everyone's like, 
fucking yes, boyfriend dungeon. And then by the weekend, there was a bit of tension around uh, one of the specific boyfriends, right, uh, Eric? And um, but Eric also, is, but yeah. there's a caution warning situation here as well, and like the notion that the game, uh, some people felt the game ambushed them a bit uh, with some depictions of like stalking and like shithead, uh, you know, boundary breaching behavior. So when I opened up the game, it opened up with two things. One was an option to turn off text from a mom character. They, I mean, honestly, if I play this game again, I might. I am not personally. I don't have any trauma with my mom. I just think she's really irritating sometimes, just like a lot of people do. <laughs> uh, but she, uh, the text you get in the in the game, like from so many characters at once, is just very much anxiety inducing for me for different reasons. Um, and I think it's a really nice feature to have to just like for any player to not get and like stuff you have to read and interact with that's extraneous if you don't want to. I thought the texts are very well written and nice and it allowed me to have a fantasy of a mother that I've actually like, it's not even a matter of coming out to my mom. It's like, does she have the ability to process the things that I'm telling her? Probably not. She loves me though. <laughs> you know, like that's how I feel. Um, and like just having the fantasy of like having a mom who's able to speak in the language of, of identity that I admired in would be nice. Um, but it also had a content warning and a content warning for references to stalking, um, get like stalking, uh, like unwanted gifts and like other forms of mon emotional manipulation. And it said to play with care. And I took that in and I took that seriously. So when I met the game's first date that you go on, which is someone that you get set up with by someone else instead of someone you meet by yourself, this guy named Eric, and he comes on a little strong. But then he starts to cross the line in terms of your boundaries in a ways that have been very familiar for me as someone who has been on a lot of dates in my life. Um, he starts talking about people who can turn into weapons. The, the conceit is he's a blacksmith, so he doesn't like weapon people. He wants weapons that he makes because he wants to control them and for them to not have any thoughts or desires of their own. This is a pretty clear metaphor about how some people can be, the kinds of people you can meet when you are dating. This game to me was a very clear story about not just being, you know, you're playing a character who has never been on a date before. So you have to learn things about what it's like to date in that time. As people who have been on dates, I assume we've all been on dates before. Um, we, we know that you can meet people who will take advantage of you, who will push past your boundaries. And it can be really hard to say no to these people, especially when you're, they're professing to love you. Uh, I've been in relationships like that where I've let people treat me in ways I feel like I shouldn't have in retrospect because they said they loved me. This game gives you a very clear example of what that sounds like and what that looks like. And they frame it from the start as this character is a bad person. So some people read that content warning and because it said references to rather than indicating that this character is an active part of the plot, mm. that they felt like it was insufficient. And Kit Fox said over the weekend that they're going to be updating the content warning, which I think is fair. I think if you still felt blindsided by that content, even though the content warning was there, you should be able to say, hey, I think we could change the language here a little bit to make it more specific. Another thing, though, that I saw in response to Kit Fox saying that they're going to change the content warning was this idea that you should be able to opt out from interacting with Eric at all. And unfortunately, because of the way the game is structured, and you can tell in the narrative the specific thing they want to say about dating, 
Um, in the dungeons, also, the monsters aren't just random things. They are literally representations of the character's fears. So in the first dungeon, the ultimate boss is your fear of change. And in the second dungeon, the ultimate boss is your fear of intimacy. Um, this could be physical or emotional intimacy. They make it pretty broad there. Um, you could... You know, this is not a game where you can not have those negative interactions and still tell the kind of story they want to say. And and I'll be really frank here. I really appreciated this story as someone who has dated kinds of people like this and not been able to act in life in the way that I was able to act in the game. Right. Um, literally this weekend, I ordered a burrito and the delivery driver came up to my door saw me, I was wearing like a crop top with like a deep V, like a wrap top situation, fully covered, but it was like an 80 degree day all day. We were dripping, sweating buckets. It was one of those days where you take a shower and you just don't get dry. Afterward, mm -hmm. you're just still sweating all day long. So like, that's how people are dressing that day. And this man who opened the door, he looked at me and he didn't address me at all. He just said, wow. And then as he was, you know, got the food out, he like got inches away from my breasts. He was trying to physically assault me. You know, that's the kind of stuff that happens to you if you're a female body. You know, just on your daily life. In life, I can't do anything about that. When people wolf whistle at me and they cat call me, I would love to tell them to fuck off. But I know that people are dangerous and all I want to do is get away from those people. In Boyfriend Dungeon, I not only get to tell Eric to fuck off constantly, all the time. It feels so good to be able to say it. You know, I get to tell him that he shouldn't be dating people and should be in therapy. And he agrees with me by the end. Like that is a level of catharsis I will never experience in my real life. I, I think that if you are cautious about the content warning because you have specific trauma responses to this thing happening to you, Please play with care, absolutely, because no, you won't be able to block Eric's phone number. And yes, you will get lots of texts from Eric and all the characters, which I think is maybe one mechanic where, I don't know, I have a specific anxiety about getting text messages and notifications that I think is pretty common, but I don't think is like that big of a deal. Like I just, in real life, I can do certain things to mitigate that, but it happening in the game, it just like... I don't know. It push, It's like when you see a spider and you're just like, it's got too many legs and I got to go. <laughs> yeah, that's the, spi the spider that lives behind our doorbell in front of the house. I respect yep. what you're doing. Your yep. I see those bugs, but the way that you peek out over that doorbell don't every time I go to get the mail, you hide. You hide and I respect you hiding and you're respecting me getting the mail and then we move on. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it, it does sound like, you know, part of what you're saying about this game is like it's meant to... Uh, introduce anxiety. It's meant to yeah. introduce a feeling of uncomfortableness. That's like, in, in many ways, the point of the story is this person's journey of experiencing a spectrum of dating that is going to have, no matter what you do, no matter how safe you are, a spectrum of anxieties that are like what you bring to it and what other people bring to it. Yeah. And then what do you do with that information and what are the lessons you take going forward um, and, you know, them even responding with, you know, saying, hey, we can make a more specific, you know, content warning yeah. seems like the right way to handle that kind of criticism, which is like, hey, like it's not the writing that people are. I mean, obviously, you know, people can or can be mad about all sorts of things, but it seems like generally speaking, it's like that's like the right way to handle this is like yeah. taking the criticism in stride, like understanding that when you put it out in the world, it's tens of thousands, millions of people interacting with it, which is so much larger than yeah. the bubble of 
uh, you know, what you can work with, especially as a smaller studio, even if you get aligned with a publisher. Um, and I don't know, that seems like the, the process working. Like it's like one yeah, of the right? few moments in which like, you know, things like social media are helpful in which stuff like that can be floated faster um, and more pointedly. And then, a, you know, a studio can take that into account and, and address it in a way that that feels meaningful. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a totally reasonable ask to ask for content warnings or for ask for that to be more specific. I remember when uh, Doki Doki Literature Club came out, it, it like had a kind of vague content warning that's saying if you're easily disturbed, you shouldn't play it. But then there's like a huge graphic on-screen suicide of a character. <laughs> I don't feel like that is sufficient enough. And I know that that developer, when the game re-released in Deluxe Edition for Switch, provided a much more comprehensive content warning. And I was very glad of that because in the beginning of that game, part of the marketing was, oh, this cute thing is secretly a horror game. But when you, once you are popular, it's, you can't, you can't really blindside people like that. It feels not very responsible. Or you're just asking people to go to wikis and to mm-hmm. seek out that, like at the moment that people are seeking out that information from other sources, mm-hmm. like it seems like that's a moment when the developer yeah. or publisher or whoever should step in and think about like, what are resources that we can offer? Even if like, I don't know, like you, you can have like different versions of content warnings, like here's a broad understanding of the themes. Like, would you like to know more? Yeah. Um, like stuff like that seems like reasonable ways to approach, yeah. you know, for some, like, you know, uh, like I, I fully think it should be content warnings. Like I can also appreciate there's some folks like, I, you know, I don't, I'm not coming into this with anything that I think is going to upset me. Uh, maybe you consider that a spoiler, but like, there's all sorts of ways to address like all sorts of players in, yeah. in ways that I think can, like, I, I imagine that's somewhat where like the, I don't know specifically why the Doki Doki developer did it, but I can imagine an author thinking like, okay, well, I want to offer this information, but also I want the player to be like surprised and thrilled. And like, I think that's like a unique situation the games mm-hmm. find themselves in where, yeah. It's not the case in so many other, like games specifically, maybe it'll go to other mediums eventually, but games, maybe because of the interactive nature, maybe because of the closeness of the audience and and the author, um, find themselves being more specific about their content than you would see, yeah. you know, when you open like a, like a thriller book, you know, you're not, yeah. you're not Stephen getting King's something not like that. Stephen King's not giving you a content warning for no, you. I, I guess like 40 years of Stephen King, <laughs> yeah. maybe, you know, you're in for an awkward sexual encounter and some yeah. mild racism <laughs> yeah. in your, uh, like, in all, and maybe, maybe more than mild black. racism. Um, in, yeah. Like this and old also black like a preachy is... message about gun rights somewhere uh, yeah. in, as yeah. well. Uh, yeah. Or references, so content warning for references to the Ramones and references to Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but I do think, yeah, I think it's, I, I'm very happy with how Kit Hat Fifth Cost handled this. And I feel like it's a completely reasonable ask to ask for a better content warning. And it's clear that some people like references to was not sufficient verbiage. And it's like a minor thing, but it does have, make an impact. I don't, I, I think though, there's a point, you know, so there, there have been instances where I remember two specific instances, and they're both kind of funny, of other mediums changing things retroactively. One is Kanye West, I'm a fix wolves, uh, when he released <laughs> The Life of Pablo, and it just obviously was not finished. <laughs> and the other is, um, more seriously, maybe more relevant, Netflix changing the depiction of suicide in 13 Reasons Why. Where like a year after the fact, they were like, we're taking that was out the first the season, scene. right? Like yes. that was the big controversial one. Yeah. 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 They after like about a year after the fact, they were like, we're taking the scene out wholesale. We're not depicting it at all. And people had mixed reactions to that. And uh, a lot of people were just sort of like, it's kind of too late, <laughs> guys, you know. Well, the, the, super hot, the super hot studio uh, uh, recently, uh, um, um, unfortunately, you know, out of that, the, the story in front of me, basically they took out. Uh, depictions of self-harm and and suicide in the game with like a note that's like, hey, 
like we don't feel great about this, you know, after the fact and we're going back and, and addressing it and removing it from the game. And we're very sort of honest with the audience of like where they were where they were coming from. And at least in that situation, it didn't, like, I never got the sense from Netflix that they were like fully owning, like why mm-hmm. they were doing it. Yeah. Whereas that like the super hot developers seemed like they were trying to explain their evolved thinking on what yeah. they wrote, why they wrote it and why they thought it was effective at the time and why maybe it wasn't as necessary now. But like, you know, it's the, the messy part of being able to live in a, you know, digital society where things can be updated and changed whether you know it or not. And like, what are the reasons and motivations that yeah. land a creator or a distributor um, to do something like that. Yeah. Rob, did you have something you wanted to add to that? No, I was just, I was, I was sort of thinking like, it also does sound to me like the nature of a game like this is you're in the, te- the territory of like deeply personal allegory. Mm-hmm. And like to a degree, when I hear like the, well, I should be able to opt out of that. I think it's, I think it's very tough to design. A, it's like, it sounds like it'd be very tough to design a story like this where it's like, okay, we can just cut these parts of the story out to mm-hmm. navigate around this stuff. Like it kind of sounds like this operates in a certain territory in a certain mode. Um, it sounds like it does a really effective job at, at doing that, but it also sounds like just inherently it's going to hit some people maybe too hard or harder than they want to be hit. Yeah. And like at this moment, that game may not be for them. Yes. Which is something like that's what play with care means i think that's ultimately what people have to be i i think it's i think this is interesting to think about in terms of why also people got so upset about the black the insufficient content warning was they feel like when you play a game the culture of games is like very i centric right you know there's a lot of i when you play a game you feel like you have ownership over it people Mm -hmm. talk about games with multiple endings they talk about their run you know their specific experience of that game. So there's a a feeling, especially with smaller studios that are more accessible, where you can just sort of yell at them like this, that you the content should be customizable to the particular player because you bought it. You know, you have it. It's yours. I'll say there's a lot of books I've bought where that looked really cool. And then I got about 100 pages into it and I've just been dead bored. And I haven't emailed the author and be like, you should have written a better book. In fact, I'm really mad and I'm going to start tweeting about this every day until you agree to write a different book for me. Like it's, um, there's different ways of reading things, right? I I don't want to get too deep into like the Edie Sedgwick. I read something this morning about Edie Sedgwick's famous idea of the two modes of readings, not of readers, but of how we can approach things. There's a paranoic mode of reading and a and a reparative mode of reading. And these are both useful in different times in our lives for different mediums. But there's a tendency sometimes for people to get lodged in one mode and not be able to see the other. The paranoic side of that is like to look at works and to identify how they are harmful, even if they do not seem harmful. It's when you, you know, you're you're looking at it like this happens so much in fandom. Like you look at a children's cartoon and you decide uh Find all of the like subtly like uh, harmful content and not pro-social content, all that stuff. Or the reparative form is when you look at something and you acknowledge and understand its flaws, but are specifically looking for the things that are good in it. The things that have pro-social messages that we can take forward, even if they're not intentional. And I tend to be more, uh, more usually a reparative reader than I am a paranoic reader. 
Um, I think that there was a tendency of the internet in this particular case to be lodged in the paranoic mode and not see it, anything that is reparative there. Well, and, and I think, though, you, you also started hitting on it, too. I think there is something also just very inherent to games that puts you in that mode. And I cannot believe I'm going to reference Fincher's the game here, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to fucking go there. <laughs> that game is, that I think, is whips. Sorry. Yeah. Great. <laughs> but I think there's something about when you say, like, in a lot of games, it is I. I am the protagonist. Even if the game is very specific about, like, you are playing as a character who might be very different from you. To a degree, it is still a collective I. I am that character, that character is me. And stuff will happen to that character, and it's very much like in the game, the first moment where like the fourth wall breaks between Michael Douglas's character and the world he inhabits, where the newscaster directly addresses him mm-hmm. and like says some really like targeted specific things to him. And then it moves on and he's shaken because like, did the world just specifically target me? Mm-hmm. Did the world just like like turn directly at me, stare through the screen into me and open fire. Um, and I think games, uh, you know, risk that. And so I understand why it, why it hits, hits very differently, but I do think that that notion of, uh, you know, the, the, the reparative mode versus the paranoiac is, is really useful. And, mm-hmm. um, I read it, a great, it does, yeah. I read a great essay about this that I'm just going to I'll, I'll link and I'll tweet about later. Um, someone just some one smart Substack that I read, <laughs> you know, and uh, it, it it does. I think also the the tendency of the Internet and social media does tend to put us in that I position also, which I think is very easy to lend itself to a paranoid mode when you are in the I position, because you are thinking, especially queer audiences, right, especially marginalized audiences where the world is harmful to you and it's like useful to be paranoid you tend to be put in this paranoid mode because you don't want to accidentally run into stuff that it's harmful right we, there's like a lot like i think a very common position amongst a lot of queer people is you grow up feeling like harry potter has given you a place of safety we're relating to a little boy who has hidden in a closet his entire life and then comes out and then you discover that the author has all these horrible, harmful views about trans people. And then also, some of those are in the text of the book you read, and you feel like the reparative mode is not sufficient anymore. You must enter the paranoid mode in order to not see those things. But interacting with all fiction has risk, yeah. right? It, it Just like dating, it, risk is a requirement of it. You probably will be hurt if you are dating, and it sucks. And hopefully you don't run into someone who is as awful as Eric. What Boyfriend Dungeon is trying to do is obviously empower the player to be able to say no forcefully in real life also. It's not all games have to impart like a moral message like this, but it's clear that this is an aspect, not the primary aspect, but an aspect of this game. So it would be difficult, right, to just opt out yeah. of Eric. I, maybe there's a way to block, there would be a way to block his text and still have the narrative progress, but I, I can't personally see it. And if the team that developed it did not find a way to do it that way, then I, I would assume that they, given how you can see they responded to this criticism, they are working in good faith. Maybe we can be in the reparative mode now when we address this text. So last thing, because I think it's uh, so important with games like this uh, to discuss how good is the game, how good are the dungeons, and how long is it. 
Uh, yeah. And of course. No, but I, I did want to revisit. You said you kind of wanted more dungeon. And I guess yeah. I, I am curious what you meant by that as well. Like, did you feel like the dungeon crawling side was a bit underdeveloped uh, in the end? Or. It's more like the game, really primarily, the meat of the stuff that you do in it is the is the dungeon crawling itself the dates are pretty short especially for visual novel standards you know whenever i have a date in a visual novel or or an atome game i'm expecting that interaction to be sort of the basis of the gameplay right most dating sims the verb that you do in them i'm now obsessed with describing games through verbs is uh, the verb that you do is to date you know and so therefore that is the action you are enacting for the most part of the game here it's 70 30 so the thing is, there's only two dungeons, though, and I beat them both really quickly. And I know this is because I play a lot of games, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm particularly good at games because I'm playing them all the time. But I wish there was like a th- I wanted there to be literally just one more dungeon. A third dungeon would just whip. Not only that, I mean, I think it's coming, though. You meet a character who can turn into an axe, but they don't show up in the game proper. So you kind of get the feeling like. Maybe there's a DLC on the way if there's a, you know, ability to provide that. That axe dungeon is coming. Yeah, I need it. Yeah. <laughs> he's a really nice guy. I, he's a really nice guy. I really want to date him. Um, and it's it's also nice because I feel like so much character development and expression of the character happens in how the the um, the weapons upgrade. So there's one character who is a saber and he teaches you fencing. And his major skill is like you can do a repost. So every time you block, you also have a chance to counterattack. And it's because he has like trauma with his own father who doesn't respect him very much. And so he has to learn how to be defensive and how to deflect attacks from his father. Like these things are married very to each funny other. funny and cute and clever. Right? <laughs> I, don't mean, I don't mean to laugh because it's like a very serious reason he's trying to do it. But like, that's just, that's, that's great. That makes me want to play the game. That's like, that sounds it's like so... a, a really interesting way into telling those stories with yeah. a, a lighter touch while also being able to be like serious and, yeah. and interesting. It is. It's a, you know, I, I understand why people wanted a more comprehensive content warning, but it's the, the tone you have to strike there is the game does have a really light touch, right? It delves into serious topics, but it does it in a very gentle way. So you, the tone of the content warning has to also reflect the intensity of the topics, right? In terms of what Eric does as an antagonist, He's probably the like least like this is not even reaching the levels of how Gossip Girl depicts like some really harmful ways that dating can happen. This is like not like Chuck Bass selling his girlfriend so he can get his hotel back. You know, this is um he sends you. It's really bad. Obviously, he doesn't he doesn't stop texting you when you tell him not to. And he gives you these gifts and he like clearly is stalking you and showing up at places where you'll be, which creeps you out. But he doesn't get violent, and he himself seems to think that this is an act of love. He has not yet gotten into the sort of abusive mindset of just being like, control is love, so I'll just be like a horrible piece of shit all the time, and that's how I show love. Um, he is early on in this development of that abusive mindset where he he just genuinely thinks he's in love with someone, which is sad, but at least that's a it's not as extreme as it could be, right? This could be right. a much more I've had dates that are much more extreme than what is depicted here. I've played other dating sims that don't have content warnings that depict stalking and abuse as incredibly normal and in fact romantic for like many multiple dating sims I play that you can just buy on Steam with no content warnings. 
we'll have characters that literally kidnap you. And then the resolution of that is, well, they did it because they love you. And the scene is very romantic. Um, but it's, uh, the rest of the game is like this too. There's a character who, you know, you learn it's like kind of a fuck boy and fucks her out. And like, it, it gets into the sort of emotional entanglement of someone that you know is not going to ever really permanently be ready to commit to someone. And that kind of hit me hard, even though it was delivered with such a light touch. Um, I also wanted to particularly shout out Valeria, the, the bisexual n- dagger, which is, uh, <laughs> written by Megna Giant, who wrote, uh, 80 Days. And her, it's, it's just such a well-written romance. It's so sexy and like, oh, she, she's so cool. She's the one of the coolest characters. Um, and of course, you know, she gets a backstab ability because she's always looking out for herself. <laughs> Um, the bisexual dagger just that's the name of something i'm not sure yeah. what maybe someone's <laughs> memoir yeah i don't, I don't know but that's dag- just, yeah that uh, just really rolls off the tongue what about non-binary non-binary witch scythe <laughs> <laughs> that was rowan was my favorite character like there's a there's a millhouse non-binary and a spooky non-binary <laughs> that was like the two genders and i love rowan rowan was particularly great because it's like you are put in the position now of interacting with someone that wants to be sexual with you, but doesn't know, is very anxious about it and doesn't know how to be vulnerable with you. You meet the Rowan while they're grieving and they want to be romantic with you, but they also need a lot of support. It's So it, the game is asking you to love someone who needs love. And that to me was so romantic. That like really, really got me. I will say, I, I think um, some of the ways that the game sort of mit, like tries to soften its more challenging aspects reduces the amount of friction that I would want from a game like this. Um, to compare it to a game that I think is pretty similar in tone that has very different goals, uh, Tokimeki Memorial Girl Side 1 and 2, the two I've played. Um, those games also give you like a smorgasbord of different people to date who all have different personal baggage and dramas. But one thing they give you that I wish that this game kind of had was um, you can date everyone in Boyfriend Dungeon without them getting upset with you, which I think is pretty great, actually. Mm. I think it's cool to just let you, you know, this is like games in the world of I, where you just get to do whatever you want. This is like the ultimate extent <laughs> of being player sexual right like the way that mass effect games are play, player sexual and, the, and the, the other weapons don't get mad if you've been ignoring them for yeah. for an hour yeah you know someone can say come over right now in my text messages in the game and i'll be like yeah yeah i'll get to you <laughs> 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 um but i in tokimeki memorial girl side one of my favorite things about that game which is a very traditional dating sim. If you've watched Tim Rogers' five-hour review of the original Tokimeki Memorial, you'll kind of get a sense for that. I'd also recommend my friend Jeannie has been streaming in Japanese took uh, all the games in the Tokimeki Memorial series if you don't have a way to play it for yourself. Um, that, that game also has rival girls for some of the romantic interests for you. And you should and can befriend them. It's like a major component of the game to have female friends, but they will get jealous of you if you go after the same guy that they want and they will be a rival and your friendship will be affected. And then the player is asked to navigate that relationship too. Like these are the kinds of it's so much more satisfying at the end of Tokimeki Memorial Girl Side when your female friend can just be happy for you. You know, like it, it makes you feel like 
you've really overcome some kind of obstacle to get your love confession scene. And I wish that there was just a little bit more of that stuff in this game. You know, the stuff with Eric, I think, is a very good plot line. I think it's a very well thought out and well written, very sensitively written plot line. But I wish there was something a little bit more about when you date, like anytime you are romantically and yeah. or emotionally involved with another character or another person, there's going to be friction especially if you're romantically or emotionally involved with more than one person. I've known people who are poly. I know people who are poly now. And, you know, they all they all tell me more than one relationship is a lot of work. <laughs> you know, one relationship yeah. is a lot of work. <laughs> it's like a full-time job. It doesn't have the give and take, take angle yeah. of, like, navigating those feelings. Well, that's. It sounds really like a lot of fun it sounds incredible it's honestly. really cute honestly yeah. it's really really cute it makes me want more of it all i want is more of it i think that's my biggest complaint is that it's a small game from a small studio so some of my expectations of what this is going to be aren't accurate but also i feel so happy that so many people really responded to this and maybe this is a sign that western visual novels can not only thrive but they can approach some of the themes that non-Western visual novels outside of, you know, in Japan and outside of the West do in really interesting and new ways. I I think that they're, you know, if as far, I mean, I honestly, even the controversy over this is kind of um, encouraging for me because I've, I've been a big fan of Otome games since people uh, really did not respect them at all. <laughs> and I think it's really, really cool to see so many people love that the kind of emotional experience that this game gives you. Um, I just wish there was more. I really just wish there was more. Uh, well, when there is more, if that third dungeon ever shows up uh, with, with Axe Boy, uh, we will uh, we will revisit and uh, see see if finally the, the itch is thoroughly scratched. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, and then we are going to get back with uh, Axiom Verge 2. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right, Patrick, you playing now, some Actium Verge. Well, I, uh, I found myself, uh, we, when we, I, I just came back from uh, vacation and on our, on our flight back, my, my daughter, my youngest usually takes a nap by like eight and it was like no our flights at 1 30 you are going to sleep on this flight uh so no you're not you're not going to take a nap so we we're doing all all that we could to like get keep her occupied keep her awake um managed to get her to the airport buckled in managed to get uh my my oldest like also tired on the flight and for the first two hours of this flight like both children 
were dead asleep. My wife and I had nothing to do. Um, it was actually the most I had nothing to do on the entire vacation probably was the two hours on this flight <laughs> when we were flying back. But it was like this instance in which, ah, I, I guess I can actually pull up my Switch uh, and, and play something. I poked at a couple of things over uh, my break, but it usually resulted in me uh, 15 minutes in, like laying down and taking a nap for 20 minutes. And so, uh, yeah, Axiom Verge 2 is... Um, it, uh, stealth dropped, uh, uh, the same day that it was shown at a Nintendo indie showcase, I believe last week. Um, it's the sequel to a, uh, I believe one man developed, uh, uh, Metroidvania Axiom, Axiom Verge, uh, which I, I played, uh, when that came out some years back, I, I thought it was okay. I didn't like it as much as other people seemed to respond to it. It was a very throwback, uh, a game. I thought the aesthetic was, just kind of boring. It was kind of like the biomes weren't particularly all that interesting. Like it was fine. It was, it was very much one of those. I enjoyed it. Um, but I, I didn't react as strongly to, to the first one as a lot of other people did. Um, and so I was very curious where this, uh, solo developer would take, uh, the sequel. Um, it was going to kind of be more of the same Then with Metroid dread being on the horizon in a month or so, I could probably skip this one and, and not scratch the, the Metroid itch too hard, even though it's one of my favorite itches to scratch um, in video games. Um, and th- this one is really fascinating. I-, I remember reading a little bit about it, uh, how part of the pitch was that uh, it- although it is a game full of enemies, that you should be able to navigate from beginning to end without killing any of them. Um, and not necessarily in a fashion of like being like a pacifist, but more that you should be able to approach situations uh, functionally differently than uh you know, you, you would otherwise in a game where you are the player and everything else are the things you're supposed to shoot around you. So the setup is, I have no idea if it's connected to the story of the first one. I do not remember a single plot detail of the original <laughs> Axiom Verge. Not not a one, which is, <clears throat> that game didn't have much of a story, story folks. It had some light plot, but I also, it kind of just went one in one brain and uh, and out the other. And uh, You have two brains? Because uh, I have two brains. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I didn't want to reveal that here. On the podcast, oh my but, God. uh, Breaking you know, news. that's uh, why they call you scoops. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, in one scoop and out the other. Um, and, uh, so this one opens with like, there's like this big science experiment in the Antarctic. There's some portals and this portal, uh, you end up like falling in and ending up in this other world. And you end up, uh, going to these different human encampments where they're trying to build, a portal back to uh, where everyone came from. And there's like a, uh, an over like a broader mystery about the, the person who was developing this original technology. Like why are there, and the main enemies here are like these robotic drones that like, look like they're like out of the matrix. Uh, and like, why are they here? Why, why, you know, why aren't there more natural wildlife that would be a, so anyway, that's kind of like the broader mystery stuff that you're trying to figure out. But um, the, like you had, you quickly come across like an axe. You quickly come across a boomerang. You can, uh, there are, there are ways for you to do so like normal modes of interaction. Um, but one of the first sort of, uh, mechanics you get, you know, access to is, is the ability to hack and it cre- like you hold one of the, the R buttons and it creates this like purple, uh, circle around you and whatever that touches then allows you to interact with that object. And that can be like something in the environment, like a keypad that can be, uh, uh, an enemy and like you will based on your hacking level, get access to different options. Like you can uh, make them slower. You can uh, turn them into an ally. Um, you can force certain enemies to like drop 
their extra equipment. Um, so like there's like these health packs, like these reserve health packs you can get. And so sometimes enemies are flying around with them. And pro- probably like most interestingly, as far as I can tell, and you know, I've played 25% of the game at this point. Um, the bosses are optional. Uh, you will huh. come, you will go through this world and there will be giant, massive robots who is clearly, if it was an older game, it, like, you know, I've entered the fog gate and like the words boss would appear on screen with a health meter. Um, <laughs> and you can just walk past them. They, they'll come at you. They're aggressive. All the robots are aggressive, but you don't have to defeat them. It, it is, it, there are entrances and exits in the areas where these bosses or boss like kind of robots are, but you are under no requirement to defeat them to pass. Now I have defeated both of them. Cause I'm like curious to see how, if that has any consequence in in the game, mm-hmm. would it be like, oh, you have to, if you did a second run on this game where you didn't touch these, is it the end of this game? Is it going to be some, is it going to hit me with a moral and ethics stick and be like, you fucker, like you didn't have to beat these big robots to get the minor upgrade drops that they they provide you. Um, but like even in those boss fights, uh, like for for example, in the, in the first one, it's uh, like this big kind of like wasp kind of looking creature and I really didn't attack it. I, I mostly just, uh, hacked it and like you can do things where like you can you can overheat the engines which like causes damage to the rest of the body um you can uh you know slow them down and have them run into things like the second one is this big kind of snake creature where they're made out of a metal that you can't penetrate with your attacks and they attack you by either running into you or exhausting uh like this big like really uh hot exhaust comes out of like different parts of the the snake creature um and you can turn that off and so like I would run over to a spot where I could refill my like hacking energy and I would slowly start to uh, uh turn off all of the the vents and then I was left with this harmless snake that couldn't attack me but was chasing me relentlessly and I couldn't do anything to and my thought was oh I guess Maybe I have to come back like I can't interact. I can't like d- d- get into the metal of this creature until I have something more upgradable. And then I realized like, oh, actually, there's these uh, kind of like stalactite. What's the difference between a stalactite and a stalagmite? I know isn't one on the top and one on the bottom. Stalactite is the top. Rob, are you, you're nodding at me. Uh, mm. And if you use a power where you kind of like shake the earth very briefly, uh, like those fall and attack um, the snake. And so you don't actually you know, fight it in the traditional way. You also don't have to, like I said, you, all you get from it is a small like skill bonus that you can put into like these skill trees you get access to. But I think it's, I'm like, I'm, uh, I'm torn on whether like it's interesting, like in theory, like I, I like the idea that like, Oh, like these major creatures that normally would be requirements or like gatings onto the next area or the next thing you're supposed to accomplish. Ah, they're just here and you just don't have to screw with them. Um, but it often leaves me like, I think the combat is just okay. Um, I don't think it's that fun necessarily to like go through an area and like hack a bunch of robots. I frequently find myself just avoiding them instead. And so I find a game that, that wants to present a different mode of play in which you don't have to always just be on fighting and killing and destroying everything around you, but you can just be an explorer um, that is not messing with like the environment around you, whether it's natural or not, because you're not really sure. Um, but you can be someone that's just kind of like getting around. And a lot of the movement abilities you get over time, like really push you in that direction where you can can really just kind of be moving through the space in, in different ways. Um, but I also find like that's not d- interesting. Like I find that the, the enemies are so aggressive that they really want me to interact with them. And so I don't 
I was like, if the game wanted to be more exploratory and passive, I wish there was more going on in that direction or the enemies were less aggressive so that I could spend more time just exploring. Um, so I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm curious how it like, pans out as I get more mechanics and like see where the, the push and pull is on uh, what it's presenting. But um, I found myself finding it more interesting than I am liking it, except for the music. Like the, the music is unbelievably good. It is, it is, uh, I don't know how to describe it, except that uh, just go look up the soundtrack and, uh, it's just a uh, tremendous, I, I, I will be listening to it outside, uh, the realm of Axiom Verge 2, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, as a, if you want a little Metroid before, you know, Nintendo, uh, you know, delivers a, you know, Metroid Dread, uh, in a little while now, I, I feel like you could, could do, do worse, but, um, I, I find myself feeling almost similar to the first Axiom Verge where, ah, this is interesting. Um, but, but I don't know how much of what it's doing is, is really connecting with me. Hmm. Hmm, you know, it, you presented lots of ideas where I thought, that's interesting, and then you, you know, dropped the other end of the sentence, which is like, I don't know if it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't either. Like, I, I kind of need to see how it plays out over over time. Um, but I, there are so many of these types of games that I, I'm not going to, I will always welcome and be excited that there's one that presents itself as, hey, I'm another one of those. Don't you like them? And I'm like, absolutely, <laughs> I do. Uh, and it could just be one of those, and I would mostly be happy. And yeah. so the fact that the game is, like, pushing up against sort of established norms is pushing back on, like, traditional player behavior, like, it, I think it's cool. And so I, it's yeah. for, like, for me to start entangling, like, is the reason that maybe I'm finding some parts of it's not connect? How much of that is the game and how much is that what I'm bringing to what I expect of these games and thought I was getting. And instead it's a little, little bit something else. And I'm finding as I'm getting more access to more mechanics that there's less and less of that. Um, because I think you can start like then playing the game more on, on your own terms. Um, so I'm just curious to see how more of that pans out, uh, as, as it goes, goes forward. So did the kid stay asleep through the flight? No, of course not. <laughs> Two hours. <laughs> Two hours, the two, two, dude, two hours on a four and a half hour flight. My oldest was a, was an angel. Could not, could not, but she, uh, uh, my wife was very good at like planning a backpack full of activities for these things, uh, and like slowly doling them out in an intelligent way to like spread out like the, the, the attention span of a child. Um, one of them was, uh, what do they call it? A light bright. Isn't that the one where like you put the little dots into the thing? And so, there was a tiny one of those, but uh, my wife had uh, forgotten to put batteries in it. I didn't. I didn't even know this toy existed. She's like, "Do you have three triple A's?" I was like, "Just in my backpack, like, <laughs> like maybe ten years ago when that was like more of a thing." But no. And so we're like, "Well," I was like, "Just don't tell her that it lights up. Like, what she doesn't know, like, can't hurt her." Just like, look, it's these cool, surprisingly dark. Uh, little pieces that you could put into the holes, and she took it and she played that for another two hours. And then right. when I we got home, and I I was like, hey, let me show you how this actually works. Uh, and I I put uh put the batteries in it, and she's like, why didn't you do that on the flight? I was like, I didn't have batteries. She's like, oh, that's cool. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. So uh, uh, the best thing about children is they don't know anything. <laughs> no, well, we're, she starts kindergarten this week, yeah. so we're, we're we're leaving that. We're, okay. we're beginning to leave that that world uh, behind. She's, she's she's harder and harder to to trick um, <laughs> with, with even the most well intentioned white lies. Uh, mm -hmm. They they she she remembers things to a degree that uh, it used you know when I like put her to sleep. I, you know we don't I, you know, like lay with her for like ten minutes and constantly I'd be like uh, all right I'm gonna go to the bathroom 
be right back. Knowing that if like if I left, then she would finally just release and go mm-hmm. to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and she will do that. She doesn't leave her room. She doesn't like come sleep with us. But she will wake up the next day and be like, so you didn't sleep with me last night, did you? And I'm like, no, wow. uh, I didn't. She's like, you, you went to the bathroom and you never came back. She's wow. like, that hurt my feelings. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> wow. Like, I, was sad. I was sad and then I went to sleep. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> You're teaching her healthy conflict <laughs> resolution, though. So at least there's that. <laughs> I did. Well, I, I owned up to it. I was like, yeah, I did. I did leave. I mean, we're yeah. like, we're building towards, uh, you know, she's going to be five soon. Like a lot of it's like, all right, when you're five, like, you know, you like mom and dad just like bring you into the room and we'll read you books and then you got to put yourself to sleep. So we're hoping we can mm-hmm. move, you know, then I don't have to lie to her because it's like yeah. I'm supposed to just shut the door and yeah. and leave. But well, it's we'll, so cool. It's always great to frame that as a reward, right? Like you're more independent now when you're five. You're like a big girl and big girls yeah. get to go to bed. They just go to bed and, you know, you get to lay in your bed and put yourself to sleep. You know, not like your little sister. Your little sister's a baby. Oh, that, that thing that know? shits their pants all the time? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still, you only do that by accident. I still remember, I think, like, one of the first times where I'd sort of put myself to bed and I'd, like, slept through the night and I'd, I'd woken up, like, completely by myself. And I was like, well, that's it. The master of my own fate, <laughs> captain of my own ship, went mm-hmm. to bed. My parents didn't know this, but I stayed up till 1045. Ooh. I almost got through the night court rerun. <laughs> and then I fell asleep and I slept through the night and now behold, the sun is up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can basically. Uh, I don't need these people anymore. Back in a suitcase. Yeah. I'm out of here. Got a yeah. little bindle with you, you know. <laughs> You and Nina just out in the rush. Yep. <laughs> so imagining the two of you, just a small Rob just riding this massive dog. That would Mom be- and Dad, I, I think you did an incredible job. Uh, <laughs> this is in no way a verdict on you, mm-hmm. uh, but I am going to need you to leave and uh, give me my own space uh, and let me have this house. <laughs> um, so I have been playing. Uh, and I'm not terribly far into it, not as far into it as Cam uh, who wrote a review for us uh, today on Amplitude Studios' Humankind, which is their, don't call it a Civ-like, but it's a Civ-like. Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> been here for years. Yeah. Please, I'm so interested in this because I, especially because I've been skeptical and I have heard many people who have played it be skeptical, but the concept of it, which I'm sure you're about to get into, to me, is a very interesting perspective on uh, civilization, right? Because this is a game that's kind of in reaction to civilization. Akita, <laughs> even in your framing, you just, that's the arc. That's the arc of this game where it's like, <laughs> I'm pretty curious. Start playing it. Uh-oh, I don't know. Um, so Humankind, yeah, to your point, it is trying to, so the core assumption of Civ is that you play a Civ and you're like this eternal empire. So like, I'm playing the Americans in this in this world. The Americans, uh, American culture, uh, whatever that means, exists in the Stone Age and moves through history. And there's like medieval Americans, there's futuristic Americans, whatever. And the whole idea is like national character is like your your super abilities, your special powers, um, 
and use guide development through the through the eras uh, sort of locked onto whatever victory condition you're going for at the end, uh, be it like science victory where you ascend into space uh, on like Elon Musk's rocket ship and colonize a distant planet or you conquer the world uh, or you create uh, a one world, one piece government, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Humankind begins from the assumption that culture, nationhood, uh, civilization, all of this is mutable uh, throughout history, um, which is kind of a cool idea. So you start as basically a a hunter-gatherer tribe uh, at the start of the game, and you just start, like, roaming around and, like, scouting out, like, where would be a good place to settle? Uh, In the meantime, I'm going to eat this mammoth. Um, And then once you do, like settle down you create like a settlement and once you've accumulated enough like era stars so there's like things you do that basically give you credits uh like almost university credits to graduating to the next the next tier once you get pro magnum man with a a, a, the the little graduation hat is what i'm imagining yeah pretty much you get like (laughs) pass fail grades on like look your hunting and gathering was indifferent but i don't you don't need an a to get through this you get to move on uh, once you do that, once you get enough era stars for doing the various things that a civilization, uh, you know, does in this in this stage of the game, you get to move on and you select what civilization you're going to become. So, like coming out of the uh, Neolithic era, um, you can be like the Egyptians, or you can be, uh, gosh, like like you can be the Assyrians. Uh, you can be, uh, you know, the, um, God, I want to say the, um, here on the scene page, I'm looking at, uh, in the classical era, you can be Mongols or English or Khmer. Well, so that's the thing. So that, that initial slate I just gave you, that's who exists in the like ancient era. And so you're like, great, now I'm an ancient civilization. And each one of those has special powers and abilities that are going to be unique to them to that era. Once again, once you get through the ancient era and you amass those like era stars and make like the advancements you're supposed to make, you get a new draft class of like, and here are the classical civs you can graduate to. Uh, So like you can do this arc where like I started as the Egyptians, but now for the next era, the bonuses that made the most sense to me were being the uh, like, like being the Greeks or it was being the, um, you know, being being the uh, Huns or something like that. Uh, so the idea is that in each of these stages, um, and by the way, whoever is first to it, like the earlier you are to the next era, it is like a draft. Like once somebody says, okay, I'm the Greeks, Greeks are gone. Like nobody else mm. can be the Greeks. So that's kind of the, the advantage to like racing through this is you get more picks for like what your bonuses and special units are going to be. Um, all of this sounds really cool. I think where the game runs into trouble is that, Gita, did you ever play Endless Legend specifically? I did not play Endless Legend, no. Okay. So we had this joke on Three Moves Ahead, like, for two, three years. We joked about we all really liked the game, but we were never sure if it was a good game. Because art was amazing. It was so different from Civ and doing so many different things. Uh, city management was was really cool in some different ways. Um, that thing Civilization VI started to do, where like cities now exist tile by tile. It's not just a one abstracted 
one space on the map. Mm -hmm. Now you specifically decide, like, I'm going to build this district on this hex, and it's going to give me these bonuses because of what that terrain is. That came from Endless Legend, uh, really. And so we we dug a lot of things that were there, but also the game had a lot of different moving pieces, and their effect could be kind of hard to parse. It's one of those things where um, the way I would describe it is it's like, incredibly accretional in terms of your decision making so it's like you'll get choices of like do you want the teeniest little dusting of economic advantage or do you want just a crumb just a morsel of scientific advantage but as that decision is given to you turn after turn after turn you can end up swinging the balance pretty hard, right? Like, okay, well, actually, I've ended up being a really economic forward civilization. Or I've ended up being a really uh, science forward civilization or some mix. But what the game sometimes makes it hard to do is like, one, where are all these things coming from and where are they going? Like, what do, what are they helping me build towards? Um, it also, it is not helped by the fact that it has a very clean looking interface, but like parts of it just don't scan well. Like for instance, it loves giving you notifications like, hey, congratulations, because of your proximity to another civilization, you received a bonus to this tech. And I'm like, cool, what bonus? <laughs> and you go to the little notification and you can click acknowledge, which just makes it go away. Or you can press the, the little magnifying glass and be like, surely that will guide me to this info. Mm -hmm. No, it'll tell you what city got the adjacency, like what city was proximate. But it's still like in that interface, I'm like, but what bonus? What What's happening here? Yeah, yeah. The game is full <laughs> of things like that that are like kind of hard to parse for me. Um, Cam put more time into it. Cam also has huge swaths of this game where he's like, I'm not sure I entirely know how all these pieces fit together. Yeah. And that's um, the thing about strategy games, especially like this. You need the action reaction thing. Because there's yeah. so much information that you have to parse and hold in your head at all times. You know, a lot of the time with civilization for me and for other, you know, forex strategy or similar kinds of games is it's like uh, the moment when I lose is when I lost track of one of those things. Um, I wasn't taking notes or I wasn't checking in on it. And then suddenly I have a resource problem or suddenly my border is not, you know, secure over here. And suddenly my relationship to this empire has gone totally south and I just didn't remember so, yeah. And something Cam said, actually, that helped help me with that is Cam, Cam pointed out that, like, in Crusader Kings 3, there are moments when the sky falls in and there's a million things you got to deal with right now. But then there's also phases where you can just kind of let the game run and see the impact of your decisions play out and see, like, how, okay, here's what I did. Here's the... Here's the reaction. I'm going to watch the reaction unfold. And meanwhile, it's kind of, I'm kind of in a passive watching mode. Here, it's kind of like every turn, it's just a deluge of like small decisions. But what's kind of lacking is the sense of, okay, but where, like, when do I get a chance to sort of step back and uh, see how the world reacts? And the answer is kind of, you only get to see that when you yourself, like, can step away and sort of reconsider the entire arc of the game. But the experience of playing it is often you are like tiling a mosaic uh, together with your face like an inch, uh, you know, from the floor. And the game gives you no ladder. 
and the game gives you no like story that you can look down from and sort of see what you're building. Yeah. Um, and presumably that goes away if you play a bunch of it, but that's a lot of learning curve to get over. Um, and so like, even though ostensibly like it feels a lot more, it feels unintimidating, but I think it is, it is more daunting than a lot of paradox stuff. Um, because it is kind of this steady drip of like tiny decision with tiny outcome, tiny decision with tiny outcome, uh, in relation to these concepts, they're not super well explained. So like, I'm going to put more time into it. Like I, I finally got into a groove this weekend where, um, basically I stopped caring whether I was playing well. And I was like, I'm just going to sort of float along here and go on my historical journey. Um, I still had some problems with like there were times the interface was completely opaque to me. Um, I ended up demanding somebody surrender a city to me and they were like, well, no, you surrender the city you took from us in the last war. And so on the ledger, there's a territory swap and I'm like, okay, I click. Okay. I surrender the city. They don't surrender theirs. And like, I'm set, I'd like to like, I'm still a day later. I don't know what happened in that. Like, it looked like a pretty clear uh, like bargaining interface with a swap proposed. And they were just like, no, instead of that, how about you surrender to us? And without any sort of like red flag, I ended up just kind of surrendering a major city to them uh, without getting anything returned. Yeah. And there was no like, there was no, like it was completely unreadable. That was what was about to happen. That stuff's really frustrating. Uh, I'm going to stick with it, but yeah, I think like, you know, that, that thing you laid out where it sounds pretty neat. It sounds like cool departure for the genre. I think it remains more conceptual than actual. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll warm up to it, but like right now I'm, I'm kind of like, this is a lot of what I found confusing about Unless legend and a lot of what I didn't really love about civilization six. And then there's still like an extra layer of weirdness. Like, um, Oh, so you can, you can have anything. You can do so many different things with your civilization, by the way, you have to choose what you can do about your slavery civic. Ah! And I'm like, what? And it's like, you can have any flavor of slavery you want. What? You can have chattel, you can have chattel slavery from the people you conquer, or you can have convict labor from people who've transgressed the laws of your society. Which one do you want? The choice is yours. What about none of those? So I am thinking, like, it is possible that by choosing none, that's what I'm saying. And then you're not getting any of the bonuses or penalties from either of the like polls on that decision. But there there doesn't appear to be an explicit like, hey, um, what about no slavery? And if the game is making the argument that, hey, any sort of imperial expansion's power one way or another has coercive labor involved. That's an interesting argument. It's not one the game is enunciating. Instead, the game is like, so do you want. <laughs> like which which flavor do you want like Neapolitan slavery or do you want like mint chip slavery? Oh, you know okay. it's you know this is the kind of stuff that become that over time became clear about Civ's representation of what civilization is. You know this is the kind of stuff you put in a game like kind of sort of by accident, and then suddenly a huge tenant of your game becomes that you know ident national identities are completely immutable. <laughs> you know yeah. 
Yeah, and in this one, it's just like it's kind of like yeah, you're gonna have to choose what you do about this. And sometimes I'm like, I would, I would probably prefer not to. Um, just partly the scrivener over here. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of a bummer. Like, it, I think it was a it was a really hotly anticipated game. Uh, it's it's something's been on the radar for a couple of years now, um, and right now it just feels. Uh, really kind of opaque and really kind of fiddly in ways that um that, that don't quite satisfy uh right now it's opaque and it also seems opaque unlike other um strategy games or resource management games where you don't always know what's happening but you at least have very visible re- results to look at thinking about dwarf fortress in particular here yeah. which as a really you know core like tarn would say firsthand you know he was not thinking about ui ux design when he initially made this game and um, it is difficult to know exactly what you're supposed to do, what the game expects of you without looking at the fan wiki, et cetera. But you do get to see when things catastrophically collapse and learn from that. Here, I feel like you're not getting that player feedback. Yeah, and I, and I think it's a good example of like how you can have a clean-looking, efficient-looking interface that is not actually good. You know, it's like there's... like. You have laid out a lot of numbers and very sensible rows and columns. Context for those and how they like influence each other is not clear. And there's parts of it that aren't like that seem sort of jumbled where information that's related to one thing is somewhere else on the screen. That's making it harder to trace these relationships. Uh, so yeah, I um I am hoping that, you know, as it evolves, because I mean the nature of the strategy space is things continue to evolve um after after release. What I find alarming here is one of the things they touted was this really long runway development as they've been in early access for ages and have had a lot of like opportunities for player feedback. Um, you know, you, you, you like encountering this, I'm like, this does not feel like a thing where a lot of the um, friction new players will encounter has been ironed out. And in fact, it's just kind of assuming an awful lot of like instantaneous understanding what this game is going for without really tutorializing that or like walking you through it in context. Um, so again, if you compare it to like Crusader Kings three with the layers of tooltips that are involved where like every single thing, if you just want to keep drilling down, like, Hey, what is this? How's it work? You can do that here. It's very much like the game. Every time I make a decision, the game is like, I'll remember that. I'm like, you will, <laughs> but why? You. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's that's humankind. Um, that's humankind, baby. That's that's the, <laughs> that's, that's, the story. That. <laughs> that's the story of us. Uh, Kato, speaking of things that are opaque, uh, quick destiny check in here. Yeah. Uh, what is the latest from uh, the last city? Uh. Shit went down. Shit went down. Um, the end of the current season, season of the Splicer, uh, happened last week. Um, there was like a small break in narrative updates while they did some like event stuff for the mid middle of the summer, and then they they kind of kept off the storyline, which had been essentially a group of uh Elixni or the Fallen, as they're known as when they're the enemies that you're shooting uh came to the last city and are helping uh the your character the guardian um 
figure out how to stave off a Vex attack on the city. The Vex have kind of plunged the city into eternal night because they can because of simulations. I don't I think it makes sense if you read the yeah, lore. I, I read the lore, but it didn't make I don't know. There's there's something about the ways that it's it it's using that like any simulations is sufficiently complete enough, like there's no difference from reality or whatever. And then somehow they overlaid that on reality. It's a whole thing. Um, but the the fallen have often uh because they're they're they've they've always been kind of like technologically focused in a um uh religious way, like their like religions around machinery and technology and like venerating and all that. But that kind of like stopped for a while and like this sect of fallen is now kind of reopening that uh those connections but in a different way and using the the kind of rituals in order to actually infiltrate the vex network and so this is kind of what we've been doing the the like real tension of the storyline though comes less from the vex attack and more from the like inner city like in within the city the kind of conflicts between different factions and the vanguard and like this the decision to allow fallen to take up residence within the city, which has traditionally been a humans only uh like it's literally like yeah, uh the last and generally the fallen have been besieging the city. Yeah, like, like yes. Yeah. The there's a famous bat like the one of the most famous like battles uh, uh that happened at at the city walls is the Battle of Twelve uh Twilight Gap, which had um was a like last ditch effort by multiple uh fallen houses that had kind of rallied together to infiltrate the city and um was held back largely by the titans of the city um including one famous one known as saint 14 that became kind of particularly famous for like bashing the head in of a general with his helmet and then like, there's a dent on his helmet from that moment that was he also a vendor well here's the thing before he didn't he like he he disappeared um after this legend and like in destiny one and most of destiny two he didn't exist because you could unlock his helmet that was one of the things you could find was like saint the helm of satan 14 and had the dent from where he did this nasty head head uh head head bump uh head what headbutt headbutt yeah (laughs) <laughs> um in a couple seasons ago we went into the vex network and went back in time through it in order to save saint 14 from dying to the vex uh so now he's a vendor yes <laughs> so now he's in the story again right beautiful and so um you have this kind of like famous fallen killer uh here as the fallen are joining and then you also have um, Lakshmi, who was the head of the future war cult, saying, like, I've seen the future and some shit is going to go down. I see the fallen, like, fighting in the middle of the city. Uh, I can only assume they're going to use your kindness and infiltrate and, you know, kill our citizens or whatever. But could that prophecy be unclear? And in fact, what she sees is the fallen fighting for the city inside its very walls. Um, yeah, wow. You fucking, do you have the Vex? Uh, you have a better Vex uh, uh, future seeing machine than Lakshmi does? Yeah, 
this is exactly where this ends up going. They revealed this last week, um, essentially that the the what happens, what actually ends up happening is that Lakshmi through the season has become more and more virulently racist against the fallen. I mean, she starts off in a bad place and like, it just gets worse and worse. Um, and at the end, she accidentally opens a Vex portal directly in the city. The fallen come to like help save off the Vex. Uh, you appear, the Vanguard appears uh, throughout this, Saint Fourteen has been like he's weary at first, obviously, but he isn't just like black and white racist the way Lakshmi is. And at the end, like is fighting next to the like fallen, like the, the head fallen guy, and like so his arc has been like he's now. I never thought I'd be fighting beside an elf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's basically that. Well, it, it's even more like I think they actually do a cool a cool thing with him because he is. Um, weary, but understands that like you know, the, the the fallen as a people aren't a monolith. Where like Lakshmi's fully on the like the fallen are the fallen, and they besieged the city before, and therefore all fallen are bad. But he uh goes through this interesting arc where he is told, and like he is he has become a boogeyman to fallen children. Like you tell stories of Saint Fourteen to your children to scare them about going near other guardians right um and in like hearing that story and then in like interacting with them more he like softens like not just like soft but like understands like like uh he wants to change he like purposely wants to change that perception of himself and like doesn't he he wants to see himself as a protector and not like this boogeyman that has you know killed millions of fallen and it's like all well and good within the span of this season but the further back you look into Destiny's history, the worse this kind of whole arc <laughs> becomes. Because in the end, um, the the Vanguard comes... Like, the reason that many of the like offensive against different of enemy race, enemy races, you know, in like the the game, is because of Vanguard like choices, right? Like the Vanguard is picking and choosing what targets are were striking right like the strikes what tar- targets were raiding and here the game hasn't like it's it's trying to have interesting things to say about the way that people who have thought one thing about a group of people can change or the ways that like people fall further into uh you know rad- radical like hatred but doesn't want to involve the Vanguard and the Guardian in those, like, Ikora and Zavala, and they're all, like, on board from the jump and aren't. Right. They, they, so it's, it's trying to sort of do the whole, like, to be clear, this cycle of violence and the tit-for-tat reprisal uh-huh. and attack, that's bad. And none of the people in charge of that are implicated. are gonna are implicated at all. Yeah, exactly, a hundred percent. It's like, yep. it's it's a little bit like you can see the arc of like different writers coming through and putting different focuses on this thing, and also partially you start to see, oh, they didn't have enough money for Lance Reddick this season. <laughs> Zavala isn't in it at all, 
right? It's really funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's like they're also like like the the voice care the voice actors are all, especially Lance Reddick are all very um kind of public about when they're recording stuff and like 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 to interact with the Destiny community a lot, and it's just like you it's like one of the games that i follow the most that where i can see where story decisions have been made based on who they can hire like how much money is in the budget for voice acting for a particular season based on who the focus characters are um so part of it so is like afford these cameo recordings from, yeah. from lakshmi yeah yeah okay, i have um, to also say very quickly Lakshmi is my grandmother's name. Amama, my amama's name passed away. <laughs> so this entire time, I'm hearing all about this shit that my grandmother Lakshmi has been doing, and it's really oh fascinating. <laughs> well, your grandma sells the most blinged out guns in the last city, and we love her. Listen, she uh, raised two children rip. on one salary, not speaking English in America. I bet she did do that. <laughs> uh, I guess spoilers for the end of the season, but. Uh, uh, R.I.P. to Lakshmi because she no! ends up dead. Here's here's the well, real thing that this season is is. I've is, already mourned her doing. in my own way. So. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but like the factions, which like they haven't touched the factions in ages. There used to be a thing called faction rally where you would pick a faction, you get their guns and clothes and all that. They haven't done that in ages. They've been trying to figure out supposedly a good way to bring that sort of thing back, and instead they just blew up the factions. Lakshmi is dead. Lakshmi and New Monarchy, surprise, surprise, uh, came together to try to uh, oust the the Fallen at the end. Um, Dead Orbit uh, made good on their promise and actually fucked off. (laughs) So uh, Peter, they couldn't get Peter Stromer back. Uh, (laughs) But uh, (laughs) he had to go. His people needed him. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so the factions are no more. They don't exist within the consensus. The the consensus is the like name of the governing body of the city, which makes up the vanguard and the faction leaders. Um, so now it's just the vanguard. Um, and it's like all of these things could would be more interesting if they had yeah correctly implicated the vanguard as like part of the reason that there's such vitriol amongst like the sinistry against the fallen in the first place because like this isn't this isn't the first time the fallen have come to us uh with an olive branch or like we've collaborated with them like as far back as destiny one you've had like small hints of it happening and there was there was never any like it feels like there was never any room in the like way that that's those stories were being written in the past for the vanguard to be anything other than just like your good like commanders that are always right um and now that they're complicating other characters it feels like we we need to you know turn our eye towards inward and see what's wrong inside the city um and who knows maybe they'll get there but that that what could have been a more exciting ending to this ended up feeling a little flat just because it didn't it felt a little too clean like the the bad people were killed the the people who you want to like you know came to 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 the defenses of the fallen and that was that you know well, well that's, a, that's a 
<laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, I'm glad they're introducing some of the like that. At least overtly now, there's a bit of the complexity yes. and like lack of monolith, uh, monolithic nature. Yes, uh, that the lore is often implied. It's cool that that's making it into the story, but yeah, it does sound like it is making its way awkwardly in right uh, at a time when maybe and, Bungie and partially have full resources. Yeah, and partially, absolutely, like they're starting to like in a world where they had picked like more regularly priced voice actors you can see this going a different way because they have they have kind of supplanted the 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 vanguard which were all very you know very famous uh voice actors with um the secondary characters with that obviously are more like regular working voice actors than like you know lance reddick and such that probably cost a lot of money and those people are kind of more sufficiently complicated and complex because you can get them for more line readings, I guess, per budget and stuff. So it feels like s- slowly but surely they're going to kind of shift who the core characters you're supposed to care about are, but they're kind of in this awkward middle place right now. You think they missed the window where they could have paid Lance Reddick off in silver? <laughs> yeah, I think. So. Well, you know, I don't know. He still He still says he plays pretty regularly, so... But I'm sure they just give him all that stuff for free. Anyways. He's, he's, <laughs> he's just already, like, yeah. I can have yeah. anything I want in the Eververse shop. I'm Hell there. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, we'll uh, I, I mean, that's a it's interesting to hear the direction that Destiny's going. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to miss. Uh, I miss my 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 famous actors who who voice the yeah. characters and yeah. I associate with cool things. Uh, I I'm so bad. I just I can't remember Lakshmi's. Uh, actresses, Shura, name, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, Shura, Shura. Um, gosh, uh, uh, I just uh, I hear Christian Avers- Avzarala, yeah, you know? Shura Abdashlu, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, uh, yes. from uh, like in she was in Star Trek and she's in obviously uh, The Expanse, The Expanse now, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we're, we're gonna take a quick dip into the question budget, budget, budget? question Whoa. budget. Uh, I have terrible <laughs> news, uh, the question budget is broke we have oh, no, no room for questions uh, oh, anymore all we can afford uh is is this small inquiry from eric from washington hi all some friends of mine were curious is a costume party a larp people don't no. often act in character during costume yeah, parties. No, yeah. absolutely not that's yeah. the thing that's that's the big difference is that you have yeah. to be a LARPing includes acting and like sometimes you get the asshole at the party who's like yeah I'm Spider-Man thwip thwip and like yeah. because anytime they're fully you, covered they're gonna be in, like jumping on shit all day a, a guy who's dressed as Deadpool they're gonna be in character no matter what right. no matter what yes. the situation yep. is <laughs> That's you go to the renaissance fair <laughs> then then you're LARP, you be LARPing I think yeah. actually I think the renaissance fair is actually an instance in which you may not be LARPing but you are yes. because you're at the Renaissance <laughs> yes. Fair. Yeah, yeah. Like you have yes. been you by going in, you have been co-opted into the LARPing experience. <laughs> regard, like you sign a waiver. It's like you're a LARPer now. It's on your resume, even though you didn't dress up. You're not doing a voice. Like you're here. It's the Renaissance <laughs> Fair. Mm-hmm. We're LARPing. Mm-hmm. Is a murder mystery dinner? Yes, a LARP. Yes, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'm coming to your murder mystery dinner, Rob, that you put to, put on, and I am dressing like uh, and acting like Catherine Hepburn, and you cannot stop me. <laughs> 
Yes. There's not a murder mystery dinner tonight. And Gita's like, well, I showed up, so put one on, fucker. (laughs) Someone's dying tonight. (laughs) And actually, that would be Rob's dream. I think Rob would take on that and be like, you know what would be great tonight? A murder mystery. Yes. Oh, I didn't know it was and. that kind of party. Hold on. Uh, one of you has been poisoned. They'll be dead by the stroke of midnight. And I'm like, no, I need to frantically plot this together. Yeah. yeah. Just right in the other room and come by. I see you like spread across the desk, a wooden writing desk with a quill in hand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, so. I think that I think we've nailed it. Uh, I think I think we figured it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's there's so much more to cost uh, to LARPing than than merely costumes. In fact, that's that's kind of a secondary part, really. You need has, a you need rules. Has anyone here been to a LARP? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was might be the case. <laughs> uh, they seem fun, right? When you play D anD D, the thing you start want to do if you really like your character. And I had a really good character last time I played D anD D that had a pet dragon, so I understood this entirely. I wanted to dress up like her. I wanted to be her. So why not just do it? I didn't go to like a a super serious one where it's like you're staying out for a weekend and like you're camping and shit. Like we had a small LARP group that was very role play light, but we were out there swinging foam swords and stuff in like battles and like there was rules and all that. Um, And also once I was in a Vampire the Masquerade LARP for like an evening. Oh, yeah. Nice. And, you know. You know. That was, that was fun. <laughs> That's another tabletop game, though, where I feel like when you're playing a tabletop version of Vampire the Masquerade, you are kind of LARPing already. Yeah. Everything, Everything I hear sounds like it's very close, like already built into the system. There's yeah. a lot of like LARP adjacent stuff. Uh-huh. Like When you're making your character, you really are just kind of doing like a 17 magazine personality quiz. It's like, <laughs> what kind of goth are you? <laughs> like, I do not remember. Uh, <laughs> And we will continue trying to figure out the answer to that question (laughs) on subsequent episodes of Waypoint Radio. Uh, That will do it for today's episode. You can keep up with us on Twitter at Waypoint, on Facebook and YouTube at Waypoint Vice. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Gita, where can people find you? At XOXO Gossip Gita. Patrick. At Patrick Klopik. Kato. At A underscore Kato underscore appears nailed it you get better this every time oh uh, he's always music, been good at our well, theme music is by you're Bowen. Not every day Gita <laughs> the, the track is miss you off the EP pale machine learn more at waypoint.zone slash b-o-e-n that will do it for this week we'll be back next week with another no we'll be back <laughs> later this week with another episode of waypoint radio I just go on autopilot when I'm reading the text uh, until then Fuck capitalism. Go home. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. 
Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.